right on time. There you go. Good morning. So, How are you? I am just fine. Good. You want to hear Dick's right here now. All right. Hello. Good morning, Dick. How are you today? Oh, surviving. That's yeah. about all you can do in this weather. Yeah, how's the snow treating you? <laughs> it's not so good. I guess it was about eight or nine out there before. But it's supposed to get up higher today, so that's not bad. All right. You ready to roll back the clock a bit and talk about old days? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. All right. Dick Itstein knows a lot about the cold and snow. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, December 1944, one of the coldest, cruelest winters ever in Europe, and it came at a time when Hitler launched his surprise counteroffensive, catching the Allies off guard. The casualty count was high. Two full regiments in Dick's Army Infantry Division were captured. An extraordinary number of GIs who weren't hit by enemy bullets suffered the pain of frostbite and trench foot. Dick was among them. He was also wounded. He would save the bullet that nearly took his life. That bullet would later bring home the reality of war to some of the elementary school students that were part of a 25-year teaching career for this Purple Heart veteran. Honor Flight Chicago is proud to present the Honor Thank Inspire story of Dick Idstein. Well, you were 19 years old, and the war was raging over in Europe and in the Pacific. Actually, I was 18. You were 18. All right. Did you enlist, or were you drafted? No, 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 no. I was drafted. Okay. So that's how your military experience began. And yeah. And you were with the 106th Infantry Division, U.S. Army, the Golden Lions. How yeah, did that... First of all, I did my basic training and everything. With the 89th Division. And then you now, moved... the 89th Division was supposed to go as a backup during D-Day. But because, uh, you know, I was only 18, they said, I'm out of here, I'm not going. And so then I was sent to Fort Meade in Maryland, and I spent two weeks there, and then I went to the 106th Division from there. And then you're on your way to Europe. What, what, what were you thinking about when you're headed overseas? Well, we were in, uh, on the Aquitania, and the darn thing was crowded, and the food was terrible. <laughs> so we did buy a lot of stuff that we could get our hands on. So <laughs> we bought that and ate that, and then we landed on... Uh, in Belgium, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I'm, I, my wife just corrected me, she said, yeah, no, you landed in England, yes, we did, we landed near Manchester in England, and uh, we had a encampment there for about, oh, maybe two and a half months. Did you have any idea... At all at that point in time of what was about to happen to the 106th? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you, there's no way you can know in advance because you'd have to know the minds of the Germans. When we landed in Manchester, England, we spent about two and a half months there, 
and then we went over to Belgium, and on the way to Belgium, we slept in with the cows because, like they said, uh, with the cows walking around, they would explode anything that was in the ground, whereas uh, if we just went in and there was nothing there, why, we'd be taking our chances, you know. So the cows were your minesweepers. They were our minesweepers uh, on the way up to the front lines. When you moved to the front lines, and I'm, I'm moving you now to mid-December 1944. Yeah. The 106th had three regiments in Belgium, if I know that correctly. And you were, right. in, you were in the Ardennes. That's yeah, a, 422, 423, and the 424th. And you're you're in the Ardennes, and it's just incredible, very cruel, cold winter. And yeah, and are you a are you all clothed properly? Uh, are you? Well, uh, what happened is uh, we moved up to the front lines, and uh, my uh, company was in reserve, so we were back in a house in the nearest uh, village. And we were there, oh, I'd say about six days. Then the Germans broke through our front lines and took a lot of prisoners and everything. And and, uh, we went up to help rescue the American troops. And going up there to get to the troops, uh, we walked right into a trap. The Germans heard us coming, and and they had like a upside-down U-shaped. And uh, so we walked right into it. See, but the difference there is my Lieutenant McCabe, uh, McKay, uh, he said... We're going to attack. So we attacked the Germans and shot our way through the front, what was their front line there. And we shot our way through, and then we went back up to Belgium, and uh, we rescued a cannon company, which had about 35 men in it. And these guys and they had, were all prisoners they had, of war. They had been captured earlier by the Germans. So these were your fellow one oh six. In the very first hours they were captured because they were taken by surprise and they were all captured. And Lieutenant McCabe led us to keep charging where the the other uh platoons withdrew because of the Germans fighting, you know, mm-hmm. shooting at them and everything. So when we got up to the front lines, uh, we recaptured the uh, guys from Cannon Company. And there were, oh, maybe about six of them that I met later on at one of our reunions. They came and we talked about it and talked about rescuing them. So, what was that moment like, Dick, when you were able to to recapture the the, the soldiers in the one hundred six? What, what what did they say to you? Well, it's not what they were thinking; it was I was thinking, because as I moved towards the Germans that were guarding 
the 106th, the guys in Cannon Company, uh, there was one guy that had been wounded, and I did not realize that. <clears throat> and I told him to put up his hands, and he couldn't get the one hand up because he was wounded in it. And I know how that felt because later on that happened to me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, I was wondering, do I shoot him or what do I do, you know? So that was a very climactic time for me because of the fact that I told him to put his hands up and he couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, why? Uh, eventually I let him, you know, just surrender the way he was because he had thrown his rifle down. And then we went and uh, uh, recaptured all of the Americans. There were about 35, 36 of them. And uh, then it took us three days to get back to the front lines because we couldn't move too much with the Germans moving out there. So we had to wait until we could find a clear path to move ahead. So it took us three days to get back to the to the uh, front lines in the American troops in 106. Did you fear during that time that you might be captured too because you're in the midst of German troops, they're all around you? Yes. <laughs> I was, you know, I was afraid of being captured, but <clears throat> my lieutenant said to charge, so we charged, and we were shot our way through them. And then we went, like I say, we went up to the original front lines and rescued the guys from Cannon Company. And you also lost men in the process. When you charged, I think you suffered some casualties. Oh, yeah, because we had one guy that was from California, and he was sort of a smart ass, and, and he had the BAR, and he was standing up instead of hitting the ground, and he was shooting, standing up, and they must have hit him with 10, 20 bullets. He was a prime uh, target. Dick, what so, what were the when you're trying to get back to the front line? You're heading back towards Saint Vith, and what were the days like? Are you able to sleep? Do you have decent rations? Do you have decent clothing? What were those well, days to begin like? With, we had no rations because of the fact that when we went up there, we were up there to rescue them, and and we didn't worry about rations right offhand. So. Later on, though, we managed to pick some up. And are you are you in the midst of artillery barrages during this? No, no, okay. no. See, fortunately, the artillery happened earlier. You know, when the, we walked into the German trap. Right. But uh, no, when we were uh, we traveled, but that's why it took us three days to get back to the American lines because. Mm-hmm. We just had to take it easy and be careful. We didn't run into anybody, and that's the way we went back. So you had some good good fortune in getting back to your to the front line then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I say, 
we spent three days doing it because of the fact that we couldn't move in the daylight too good, so we had to move when it was dusk, getting dusk and it was a little dark out. This was German territory now. It wasn't American anymore. So, so five five days after the Battle of the Bulge begins, you and another soldier, I remember you telling me that you were volunteered to recon a bridge outside St. Vith because you wanted to see if you could cross that bridge. And, yeah. And, well, what, well, what happened to ahead. you? What happened is uh, my lieutenant sent me out with another fellow, and we were going to check out that bridge to make sure that the American troops could get across it. Well, little did we know that the Germans already had it. And so when we moved towards the German bridge, they saw us, and they shot at us. And one of the guys hit me, you know. <clears throat> he hit me in the left shoulder. You were then able to I, crawl back to safety? Yeah, then I went back to safety with the, the other fellow that was with me. And we got back to our original front lines there. And when I was in my uh, uh, foxhole, why, uh, Lieutenant McCabe came over, and he was sitting on the top of the foxhole bandaging me up. And I told him, you better get in here. And he says, no, no, they can't hit me. <laughs> he, he was a firm believer they couldn't hit him. So they did shoot towards him, but nothing near him. You know, he was killed in uh, January or February, uh, they shot him because he was on the front lines at that time. And uh, I'm sorry from what I that. understand why he, well, they got him anyhow. Yeah. Because that was the end of the war for him. Well, you're shot in the shoulder and you're, they perform surgery on you at a field hospital. And, right. Uh, tell me what happened then. The doctor, the surgeon who's working on you, takes out the bullet. And what does he right. say? What's he say he, to you? He gave it to me, and he said, here, you can take this home and and uh, tell your parents that you, you did your best, but they shot you anyhow. So <laughs> that's what happened. I got the bullet and the purple heart in the, hanging up in the wall here, so... So you, you you told me that you wrote home to your folks and you sent them the bullet along with your Purple Heart. And yeah. it, in your letter, I remember you telling me that you'd, you'd said to your mom, I think, that if the, if the bullet wound had been an eighth of an inch the other way, my goose would have been cooked. Yeah, because <laughs> it would have hit some important veins and, and arteries. Now, why, why did you why did you send the bullet home to your folks? <laughs> what would you have done? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I might have, too. I mean, you know, this is a bullet that somebody tried to kill you with, so don't you think you ought to keep it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you should. And as a matter of fact, it, it plays a big part in your later education yeah. and your later career as a teacher. Uh, I want to come back to the bullet in a minute, but... Like so many others who were there, you suffered from trench foot, and you had to be treated well, for that. Uh, an awful lot of guys suffered that thing. And uh, 
when I was in uh, Paris, you know, it was New Year's Eve, and a lot of the guys were going out into town, but I couldn't go because my feet were all swollen up. They, I, the trench came and really hit me there. So I was without uh, shoes and for about a week and a half. And so. you were you were one of many who suffered from trench foot, weren't you? Oh gosh, yes. I would say at least fifty percent of the guys that were there suffered from it because mm-hmm. uh, you know it was damp and everything, just very conducive to. <laughs> to get trench foot. I Did, mean, if you had to have find out a way to get it, that would have been the way to do it. Did Did you get have those? Did, did you have those moments there when you're in agony and the, the weather is just so miserable and you've got the threat of the, the Germans overtaking positions? Did Did you just say this is god awful? I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this alive. Oh yeah, yeah. You have these thoughts because. Like I say, it took us three days to get back from the front lines, the original front lines, to the ones now at St. Fifth of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, normally it wouldn't have, we could have made it maybe, well, if we could have traveled during the daylight, bright daylight, we could have probably made it in one day. Well, by March, which is just, you know, three months after you were nearly killed, you're back in the field of battle for mop-up operations. You and your fellow soldiers are going village to village. Right. Uh, yeah, what was that like, Dick? Well, that was, uh, I don't know. Well, we felt superior to the Germans at that time because we would attack them and they'd surrender right away. Well, they surrendered because most of the German army was gone. <laughs> they were backed up, you know. Did did you encounter any resistance from the Germans who were left there? Well, once in a while you'd get some guy that would start shooting at you and you'd shoot back. But uh, most of the times they surrendered because they, want, they wanted out. They didn't have any supplies either. No, their supplies, so they were living off of the people that who they were occupying the houses of. So luckily those people had some food put away, you know, so the Germans could take some of that. So when you left Belgium, were the uh, were, were the hostilities over with? Was victory in Europe declared? Uh, I left before the war ended because <clears throat> I was supposed to come back to the United States, get one or two weeks of training, and then go over to fight the Japanese. But when I was going back, the war was over. The Germans, I mean, the Japanese surrendered. And so I was two days out, you know. And when they dropped the atomic bomb, nobody on the ship would believe it. They'd say, they don't make weapons like that. What are they trying to give us, you know? And when they dropped the second one, then we believed. And we were like two days out of New York, so we sailed into New York amid all the cheering and everything else, you know. Describe that for me. 
New York. <laughs> Describe it? Yes. Well, I don't know. I I just enjoyed, you know, people waving and cheering and everything else. So <laughs> I don't know how else you could say it. It's, it was for enjoyment to, to hear that and hear them go. Lots of relief. So, Lots of relief, too, I suspect. Yeah, and I was sent back here to Fort Sheridan. And at Fort Sheridan, I was told I didn't have enough points to get out, so I had to spend two months in Fort Sheridan, December and uh, January. And then they would let me out. Then you transition to civilian life, and you become a teacher, elementary school okay. teacher. Uh, when I came back, I, I wasn't a teacher for, I would say, about, oh, maybe eight years later I became a teacher because I came back and I scrounged around for a job, and, and I had a service station, Sinclair Service Station, and uh, with my brothers, and I worked at that for about four or five years, and then I thought, I hell would I'm going to go back to school. So then I went back to school and finished up my college education, and then I became a teacher. And you latched on as a sixth-grade teacher at Cumberland Elementary in Des Plaines. Right, right. And one day you brought your bullet to class and your Purple Heart, and you told right. your sixth graders about that. What right. what prompted you to do that? <laughs> Lord only knows I might have been talking about the war or something, you know. Uh, I couldn't tell you how it ended up that way, but that's the way it happened because, you know, you talk about different things, and we were talking about the war and everything, of course, you have to remember the war was the main thing that occupied everybody's mind in the United States all the way, all the while it was going, you know. But so, you, you know now that that moment when you brought the bullet to class and you talked about your war experience had a real impact on some of the 11-year-olds who were in your class. And one in particular was Mike O'Reilly, who was a colleague of mine at ABC. There is something about... Mr. Idstein, um, I mean, granted, I was 11 years old, sixth grade, Cumberland uh, Elementary in Des Plaines. And was something about Mr. I is just, uh, just a, a nice man, um, nothing but fond memories. I still have a, a pencil unsharpened that he gave us for Christmas that says season's greetings from Mr. Idstein. You know, it's one of those things you think, why did you keep that? Why is that so special? When you're 11... And the teacher brings show and tell, you know, a bullet and his medals that he brought back from the war. And he, you know, told us the story of what he went through over in Belgium and fighting in World War II. You know, for an 11-year-old, it doesn't sink in. It just, uh, you just know it as World War II. You don't know what happened. You don't know what they went through, if it was freezing or not, if they had, you know, 
you know, no food. You just think, hey, we fought in the war and we won. And our teacher's a, a great uh, hero. But he passed the bullet around, and once he said, you know, that was in him, and he was shot, you, you kind of think, like, well, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty horrible, but, you know, you're still a kid, so it doesn't sink in. But then later on in life, when I saw an episode of those, watching the Band of Brothers and saw the Bastogne episode, and it was the Battle of the Bulge, it kind of brought back memories of Mr. Einstein was in Battle of the Bulge, and you see in the snow, and... I was thinking to myself, I don't remember him saying how freezing it was and how there was no food. And and you don't realize he was 19. And uh, you think of your teachers, obviously older, and you think of a soldier being older. And now as an adult, you think, wow, he was 19 with his company, away from his family, fighting for America, not knowing what's going on. And at that point, it really sunk in and I thought, well, maybe I should get a hold of them and see if I can get in touch with them and uh, just tell them how uh, you know thankful I was for him being in my life and everyone's life. Coincidentally, I was going to the World War II reenactment, and sure enough, there's Mr. Mr. Einstein with his 106 Golden Lion hat and his jacket, and uh, I stopped in my tracks and I said, it's Mr. Einstein. <laughs> And then we got to chit-chatting, and then he said that he was going to his uh, uh, 106 reunion in Indianapolis, and uh, I expressed interest to go, and I went, uh, I drove by myself there and joined him and Geraldine, and uh, had a great weekend going around hearing all the stories, you know, sharing memories with all the other troops, and, uh, you know, after that experience, it just, you know, really hammered it home on you know, what a wonderful person and teacher and man Mr. Edstein was. And obviously since then, you know, we've kept in better contact and call every once in a while. And I don't know, I feel good, you know, talking about him, spreading the word that, you know, what he what he's done, sharing with other students that I'm still friends with of, you know, look at what Mr. Edstein did. He was our teacher. And, and you know, he, he wasn't just a, a teacher his whole life. He, he went overseas and Save the saved America. You don't often have a bullet that you got shot with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you've still got it, and it's still in your. It's still well, in your. Well, I've got it in in the frame with the medals and stuff. Yeah. So, well, I I guess that's what good teachers do. They bring life experience into the classroom, and we're all wiser for your sharing. Yeah, yeah. Because we we talked about it and. Naturally, when you show them the bullet and, and you tell them what happened and everything, they're going to listen. And they did. They all sat up <laughs> and didn't want to miss a word, you know. Yeah, you remember that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You're connecting with the kids. That's great. Tell me about Geraldine. So you hook up with Geraldine when? When did you, you, you've been married now for how many years? Well, uh, let's see, we are married about 75 at least. <clears throat> 71 years. 71, okay, you've been corrected by your wife. You've got to remember these things, you know. 
like you you get away without getting reminded, huh? Yeah, yeah, you're always reminded if you don't remember correctly. When you went on uh, the honor flight uh, to uh, D.C., tell me about that experience when you went on honor flight Chicago. Uh, the honor flight was very good. It was something that I'm glad somebody thought up that this is what they should do. Because the nice part about it is you got to see all the monuments and everything, and... and uh, you got your food and everything that was paid for. You didn't have to pay for anything. Sure. So it was very good, you know. You were a guest of honor, more or less. How was your your homecoming event when you came back to Midway Airport when the flight returned? Well, it was, uh, you know, they had a band there playing and and. People were singing and cheering and everything else, you know. So it was really something extra, you know, when you land and and you got all these people cheering you and then they gave you bags with a lot of letters on them. Everybody wrote a letter to you. <clears throat> so I had uh, a bag full of letters that I had to answer eventually. Did you get around to that? I think I got around to almost all of them. Good for you. But it took a long time, you know. Sure, sure. So, but it was it was an experience that, well, you're never going to experience it again. So, it's just a way of saying thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you don't like to really boast about your experience or talk about it in great detail, but but uh, but it's pretty meaningful. And thanks for sharing it. It's uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad you got to listen and managed to figure out some of the things that happened. Well, but- I'm glad I'm I'm glad you made it home. I'm I congratulate you on a marriage of 71 years and a, raising a wonderful family. Yeah, yeah. And, You've 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 led a wonderful life, Dick Edstein. I've got great grandkids now. I've got six, seven, seven great grandkids. They're all the great ones, you know. Do they ask you about that bullet? Uh, I've talked to them about it. Yeah, I showed it to them, but uh, you know, you don't know how much they absorbed and what it was, you know, because some of them uh, weren't too interested in the war and other ones were, you know. Well, so, just just like Mike O'Reilly, later on in life, they'll really realize what you went through and what it meant for yeah. everyone. Yeah, in fact, I was looking at some pictures I had the other day, <laughs> and I had one of Mike O'Reilly posed with me. He was a big fellow. <laughs> he is today, too. Yeah. <laughs> so he's no shrimp, I'll tell you that. All right. Thanks, Dick. It's great talking to you. Okay. Okay. Thanks again for calling. You have a wonderful day, and don't deal with the snow. Let somebody else do that. I don't do anything because I'm behind a walker, and I <laughs> you try shoveling snow pushing a walker. 
I don't think you that'll work do very well. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. You have so, a have a wonderful I day. I use the walker all over the house. There's nowhere I go without it. Okay. Well, keep okay. going though. Keep going. All right. Okay. All right. I will. I intend to. Thanks, Dick. You yep. betcha. Bye bye. Have a great day. See you. Bye. We hope you found today's Honor, Thank, Inspire episode to be moving and meaningful. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.